0: You're listening to the magnum version of the Savage Love Cast. www.savagelovecast.com. If you're
1: stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, well, there's nothing you can't have on the Savage Love Cast.
2: So a couple of weeks ago, the CDC came out with an alarming report documenting the increase in sexually transmitted diseases. Looking at the NBC news summary of it, more than 1.4 million cases of chlamydia were reported last year, the highest number of cases of any disease ever reported to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. 20,000 cases of syphilis, a 15% increase, 458 cases of syphilis in newborn babies, a 27.5% increase over the previous year, and more than 350,000 cases of gonorrhea up 5% from the previous year. This is a problem, right? You need to get tested regularly if you are a sexually active adult in America. And it would be easier for you to get tested regularly, for sexually active adults to get tested regularly and get treated when they have sexually transmitted infections, if state and local governments across the country weren't shutting down STI prevention programs in the orgy of budget cutting that we've been treated to across the country, primarily by state legislatures controlled by crazy motherfucking sex negative Republicans who think that if you are sexually active, you deserve what you get, including sterilized by chlamydia if it goes untreated, including blinded by syphilis if it goes untreated. It is punitive and really terrifying this epidemic of sexually transmitted infections, caused in part, the CDC believes, by these budget cuts all over the country, shutting down these clinics. And in many places, clinics where they are able to stay open are being forced to institute copays and to charge people copays for drug treatments and to charge people for STI tests or charge people more for te- STI tests, which are disincentivizing, particularly young people. This epidemic is hitting hardest hitting people who are between the ages of 15 and 24, people who are least likely to be able to pay. And many of them not having health insurance, even still under Obamacare. So they're upping the costs, which is making it harder for people to test, forcing people to go, well, do I car payment and car insurance this month? Or do I go get an STI test for the first time in a year? And people will pay their car insurance. If they have to choose, they will cross their fingers and hope they're one of the lucky ones who hasn't contracted a sexually transmitted infection and pay their car insurance and then find out too late that they have chlamydia or they have gonorrhea or they have syphilis and have had it for a while, have had it potentially long enough to do themselves permanent and long-term physical damage. I encourage you, if you are a sexually active adult, young or old, You need to regularly test for sexually transmitted infections and get treatment if indeed you do have a sexually transmitted infection. And to let your partners know if you get tested and you have a sexually transmitted infection, you are obligated. It is on you to inform your partners that you may have exposed them to a sexually transmitted infection or contracted one from them. And here's how you do that. Here's how you let someone know that you've just discovered you have a sexually transmitted infection. You call them. Sometimes an SCI clinic will do contact tracing for you and you won't have to call them, but better you should call them. And you say to them, I just found this out. I'm not saying that you exposed me. It's possible that I could have exposed you. It's possible that one or the other or both of us was exposed by a previous partner. But it is my best interest and your best interest, best interest of people that you might sleep with later for you to get treated and If you did not know that you had a sexually transmitted infection, you should be very happy to hear from me about this because if as many people who have these sexually transmitted infections, you are unaware that you were infected because the symptoms were so mild or you wondered what that sore was for a moment and then it passed away and you forgot about it, you could wind up doing yourself real harm over the long term. You could wind up not doing yourself real harm. You could wind up harmed. So we messed around, we fucked, I care about you enough as a human being to to, to make this awkward call, to reach out knowing that you might be really angry and upset or defensive, but go get tested, go get treated. It's really that simple. You can write that all down and you can read it to the person that you have to call if you have a sexually transmitted infection. The other thing that the CDC identifies as a contributor to this explosion in sexually transmitted infections in the last year, gay and bi men, and Truvada, gay and bi men, and effective new treatments to prevent the spread of HIV. That there are many men who are now on Truvada who are not using condoms as consistently as they once did, or at all anymore, because of Truvada. Truvada prevents HIV extremely effectively. If people who are infected already are in treatment, or are taking their drugs. And they have a zero viral load, effectively non-infectious. If somebody is on Truvada, they are protected from HIV infection very effectively. And a lot of those guys, if HIV is their only worry, is the only thing that they're thinking about, are concluding that because they're protected from HIV, they don't need to use any other forms of protection. And this is having the consequence for a lot of gay and bi men that I saw coming One of my objections, one of my concerns about Truveda was other sexually transmitted infections that we would have, I predicted, and I was screamed at a little bit for this. We would have higher rates of syphilis transmission, gonorrhea, chlamydia in gay and bi-male communities as a result of people making this risk-benefit analysis around safety and protection and what they needed to do to protect themselves. And people told me when I said, yeah, Truvada is awesome and it's going to really do great stuff for HIV, but it's going to do bad stuff for syphilis, gonorrhea, and chlamydia. People told me that I was underestimating gay men, gay and bi men, that gay and bi men wouldn't be that reckless. I happen to be of the opinion that hard dicks correlate very strongly with recklessness. And it looks like the data is vindicating me, sadly, not happy about this. So gay and bi men, you've heard me talk about guys with zero viral loads. You've heard me talk about getting on Truveda. You've heard me push that on people. You still gay and bi men. We need to use condoms when appropriate. And, you know, I've said a million times, straight people need to have more sex and more sex partners than they do on average. And we gay and bi men, we need to have less sex and fewer sex partners than we can on average. It's easy to find dick. You can get a lot of dick. The more dick you get, the more careful I think you need to be. The more dick you get, the more condoms you really should be using. That's not a fail-safe. There are people in what they thought were committed monogamous relationships who were only having sex with one other guy who got infected, who got a sexually transmitted infection. Not a fail-safe. But we need to mitigate for the risks we invite and if you have many sex partners you are inviting a greater degree higher degree of risk for exposure potentially to sexually transmitted infections so it's not enough to say i'm on truveda i'm safe i can fuck a million dudes without condoms and without worries you do need to worry about drug resistance gonorrhea you do need to worry about syphilis that can have real and significant long-term health impacts you need to worry about chlamydia and HPV, and herpes, and a handful of other things. So, everyone who can hear the sound of my voice, if, it's, if you're a sexually active adult, if you've had more than a handful of partners in the last couple of years, and you have not been tested for everything, get thee to an STI clinic, go. Get tested. See where you're at. And build that into your regular health screening regimen. Occasional testing every six months to a year. And gay men... And by men who have zero viral loads, guys who already have HIV or HIV negative guys who are on Truvada, think about the choices that you're making in the moment. Hard dicks correlate very strongly with recklessness. So you might want to think about those choices when your dick is soft and you too need to go in for regular STI treatments and get treated, contact partners if indeed you have a sexually transmitted infection, and Truvada notwithstanding... And drug cocktails notwithstanding, condoms still need to be a part of our sex lives as gay and bi men. And now your calls.
3: Hey, Dan. 33-year-old uh, gay male. I'm in a relationship. I, I've been with this guy for about like three months. Last night, he dressed up as, he, he said, a slut, <laughs> which I don't care. I was like, all right, whatever. It's all in. So we went out. We drank a lot last night. We went out. Um, I called him this morning and he was supposed to go home with me last night, didn't go home with me. And I called him this morning and he told me that he woke up with another guy. And, uh, I don't know. So, for Thanksgiving, he was supposed to come see my parents. I don't, I don't know if that's going to happen. I don't, I don't know if we should stay together, but, uh, ugh, like some advice. All right. Thank you.
2: I wish you'd left a phone number because I totally would have called you back. I'd love to know what happened in the days after Halloween to see if there are any extenuating circumstances that might mitigate your boyfriend's crimes against your relationship. It's only been three months. Did you have a sexually exclusive agreement? Had you opted in to monogamy? One of the things I think is good about... Gay standard practices when it comes to relationships is that conversation about monogamy when we have it tends to be opt-in whereas in a lot of straight relationships, it's a default setting of monogamy. So people who are dating for two weeks think they have – assume they have an exclusive sexual commitment and then discover to their shock and horror that they don't and it's been my experience in gay land and gay relationships that that is an active conversation in an opt-in setting, monogamy. So I would have called you if I could have called you to ask you what your monogamy setting was placed at. Had you guys opted in or were you both operating under the assumption like a lot of straight couples that at 3 months you had defaulted monogamous. This event, Halloween, drunk, messy, an infidelity, it can signal the end of this relationship or it can be the catalyst That you both need for a conversation. It can inspire a conversation about your relationship, what the settings are around monogamy and commitment, and what the settings are going to be going forward around drunken sluttery. Perhaps your boyfriend has a drinking problem. Perhaps this is a one-off. Perhaps he has peered into the abyss, now realizes what he may have screwed himself out of, and he is never going to dress up like a slut And go out on Halloween ever again or cheat on you ever again because he almost blew it. Of course, it's only almost blew it if you have a conversation with him and don't dump him. It's blew it if you determine, based on having more knowledge about what your boyfriend is like after three months together, who he is as a person. And whether this is something that's going to happen routinely or regularly. You have to make a judgment call here about what you know about him about everything you know about him, not just about what happened on Halloween, but everything you knew about him in the three months prior to Halloween. And then, again, make a judgment call about whether you think this is who he really is, messy, inconsiderate, a drinking problem, an other men's dicks problem, or if this was an aberration, if this was something that you can forgive and work past and come out on the other side with a more solid, honest, stable relationship than you had on October 30th. It may take more than a few weeks to have those conversations and to hammer that out. So you might want to put off meeting the parents to Christmas just to be on the safe side or St. Patrick's
4: day. Hi, Dan. I am a 30 year old straight woman. The problem that I'm having is that lately I have started to explore a little more of the kink scene and bondage is especially a turn on for me. The problem is that I am only really able to come when I'm stimulating myself with my own hand. Kind of reminds me of how you've talked about guys kind of getting so used to their own feel hand, the feeling of their hand when they jack off, but that's kind of the only way they can come. I feel like it's the same for me. So when I'm having just sort of usual sex, not tied up in any way, I can reach down no problem, I can come. My partners are always really understanding of that. But if I'm tied up, um, that poses a little bit of a problem. We've tried having them stimulate me manually and, uh, you know, feels good. But for some reason, I just can't come. I don't know if it's the pressure or the speed or what. Vibrators tend to be a little overstimulating. So usually after just a few seconds or so, um, I'm asking them to please remove the vibrator from my clit. Um, So I'm just wondering if you have any ideas for how I can train myself without having to, you know, untie me so that I can come at the end, which really kind of puts a dent in the sort of the the scene and the fantasy of it all. So I don't know if I should just stop masturbating for a while and really just try to come by having my partner help me out. Or if I can train myself to come with a vibrator, Uh, any ideas you have would be really welcome.
2: You might want to jump into the archives and listen to episode number 465, September seconds, Savage Lovecast. When we talked to Mike Pearl, he's a writer at Vice Magazine. And we talked about that thing we do not call death grip syndrome anymore, where somebody masturbates in a particular style exclusively for such a long time that they carve a really deep groove in themselves, where they can only come then from that particular kind of stimulation. And talking with Mike and talking about the experts that Mike had roped into his piece, and it's a terrific piece. You should look up Mike's piece on Vice about death grip syndrome. What the experts said is kind of what I've said for a very long time. There are really two approaches. Either accept that this is how your body works, how your orgasms are going to come to you, or take a long-ass break from whatever it is that you feel you're dependent on and just don't give that to your junk. You're just not going to touch yourself that way. And your body will eventually, hopefully, if strategy number two works, carve a new neural pathway from your twat to your brain and you will perhaps become orgasmic in a new and different way out of desperation. The trick is that that's not possible for everyone. Some people, it's just this is what they need. And no amount of starving out their twat or their cock is going to change anything. So give it a college try. Give it three or four months of Not getting to come the way you've been coming previously. That doesn't mean try the vibrator, let him do it, and then in frustration, revert to what has previously worked. That means you try the vibrator, you let him try to do it, you try to come in a different and new way. And if you don't come, you don't come that time. You don't get to come. Because if your body knows, if your reptile brain knows, it just holds out long enough, you're going to give it what it's accustomed to. It's not going to reach that breaking desperation point where maybe that new neural pathway will be carved. All that said, there are really easy ways to accommodate you if indeed this is just what you need to get off and you always will and nothing can be done about it. You can have one hand untied at a crucial moment and stimulate yourself. You can have both hands tied together and then with a separate rope tied over your head, that separate rope can be removed and you can bring your bound hands down to your business and take care of yourself before – You are rebound in the position you were in before. That's very common in a lot of bondage scenes where people need to touch themselves to get off. That can be incorporated into the flow of the bondage, really, in an organic way. Good luck.
5: Hi, Dan. I'm a bisexual 28-year-old in an open relationship living in London with people outside our open relationship. My partner and I always use condoms during vaginal or anal sex. But because the risk of STDs with oral sex is lower, and because latex tastes terrible, we rarely use prophylactics during oral sex. And last week, we were lucky enough to have this 5 sum with this other girl and two other guys. Um, We didn't use condoms during oral sex, and pretty much everyone was having oral sex with everyone. So I was wondering if, for example, I'm sucking off one of the guys or going down on the girl and then going straight back to sucking off my partner... Is that actually the same risk as those people having genital-to-genital contact? And is the same true with hand jobs? And if either of those are true, can using mouthwash or hand sanitizer in between reduce that risk? Or should we really just, pardon the pun, suck it up and use condoms?
2: So back in the darkest days of the HIV-AIDS epidemic, very few gay men used condoms for oral sex. I was one of them. I was a freak show. I used condoms for oral sex, but very few gay men did, although we were urged to, and we didn't. And transmission of HIV during oral sex was exceedingly rare. I know at least one person personally who contracted HIV through oral sex only because oral sex was the only kind of sex he ever had. So it was possible, but it was exceedingly rare. But that's just talking about HIV. Unprotected oral sex – you can get HPV, you can get herpes, you can get chlamydia, you can get oral gonorrhea, you can get syphilis orally. What you guys did, what you're doing when you use condoms for intercourse, vaginal or anal intercourse, but you don't use it for oral, in a sense, particularly if you have many, many sex partners, you are accepting, i don't want to say signing up for, you're accepting a higher degree of risk for the other sexually transmitted infections, including two of the Theoretically uncurables, HPV and herpes, and the others, chlamydia, gonorrhea, syphilis. Are you willing to accept that degree of risk to enjoy the pleasures of, say, that five-way that you just had? And yes, going from dick to dick to dick or pussy a pussy pussy with your mouths can bank shot a sexually transmitted infection all around the room. So... Those of us who are not monogamous, we need to be honest about these elevated risks that we face in our elevated excitement sex lives, right? The risk-benefit analysis. Are the risks, the higher risks of sexually transmitted infections worth the benefits of a more exciting, fulfilling, adventurous sex life? If the conclusion is yes, then you have to ova up, nut up, and not be babies if You should contract one of the permanents, HPV, herpes, or one of the transients, gonorrhea, chlamydia, syphilis, or the others. Get tested regularly. Know something about your partners. Ask your partners about the last time they've tested. Do what you can do realistically to mitigate those risks. If no risk is acceptable to you, then you should start using condoms for oral sex. But even if you do use condoms for oral, there is still risk. Skin-to-skin contact. You can still contract herpes or HPV using condoms, even syphilis. If the condom isn't covering or the latex dental dam isn't perfectly covering, a sore, which can happen. And not all sores are immediately automatically visible. So be a grown-up. Face the stark facts. It is not sex negative to acquaint people with those risks and to think about them rationally. And then you and your boyfriend need to run your own risk benefit analysis, higher risk sex life, higher fun sex life. Are you willing to sign up for both Then go for it? If not, then perhaps monogamy is a better choice for you.
1: Hi, my question is, I don't know how to break up with my boyfriend or kind of if I should. Sometimes I feel like I'm still in love with him. I'm 31 and he's 28. And we've been together in a monogamous relationship for two years. And I'm starting to fall into my old pattern of falling in love with multiple people. And I've been sexting secretly and flirting a lot when he's not around. And actually even planning a cross-country sex vacation. Um like with the idea that I'll break up with him, but my problem is I hate the idea of bringing up this conversation because I expect him to slut-shame me, and I'm kind of afraid of the idea of breaking up and being alone. And I'm kind of worried that I'm just in a hyper-expensive phase and that when the crash inevitably comes, I'll be sad and alone and wondering why I parted ways with this handsome, awesome man who's great in bed and shares my kinks about 95%. Any feedback?
2: You're 31 years old. Time to know yourself. Here's what you should know about yourself at this stage. Monogamy is not for you. You get bored in a committed sexually exclusive relationship and then you begin to act out. And this is only a problem because it violates the agreement you have with this particular boyfriend who sounds pretty awesome. You guys have a monogamous commitment and you are pursuing excitement elsewhere because being with the same person, only that person over and over again, however awesome they are in bed, however hot they are, however indulgent they are, GGG they are – isn't enough for you. You need more than one partner. You need the attentions of more than one person. You need that hunt, that new relationship energy as the poly crowd calls it. So knowing what you know about yourself, you should not be making monogamous commitments that you are going to violate commitments. You cannot keep. There are guys out. You listen to this show. You should know this. There are guys out there who want what you want, who would be a better fit for you. You want an open relationship. You want a commitment with a hot, fun, awesome guy who is either indifferent to you occasionally messing around with other guys or pursuing other guys or excited by it. This thing right now that is a problem in your relationship, your current relationship, can be something that strengthens A different kind of relationship, a more honest relationship, a relationship with somebody else, or who knows, maybe even a relationship with this dude. Give him the opportunity. Go to him and say you want to be in an open relationship, that up to now you have honored the monogamous commitment that you've made to him, but you will not be able to honor it over the long term. You will need to occasionally mess around with other people. He would, of course, have the same right. Is an open relationship something he would be interested in? moving forward with with you. If not, thank him for all the awesome kinky sex and end the relationship. And and then, yes, you will be alone briefly, perhaps. But you will be able then, in your solitude, to pursue a guy that you can have an honest relationship with, a guy where you can be yourself in the relationship with. So go be honest with the boyfriend you've got right now. If you know that non-monogamy is something he could never do, then break up with him. Just tell him it's not working out. You don't have to tell him why, if you're afraid he's going to slut shame you on the way out the door. You can just end it. You don't have to give somebody reasons. You don't have to present them with a declaration of fucking independence, itemizing all the reasons why you're parting. You can just go.
3: Hey, Dan. I'm a gay man, uh, 28-year-old, living in an East Coast city. Uh, Recently, I was in a relationship or... I was starting a relationship with a guy for whom being fluid bonded was very, very important. Uh he was HIV positive, so I uh, got onto uh Truveda and by the time that I actually got onto that regimen and that relationship collapsed. Good riddance. That's not really why I called. So now With my uh, super Truvada powers, the first time out on the town, first time topping, actually, I got a urinary tract infection. It's okay. I've been to the doctor. I'm already on the antibiotics for it. And obviously, uh, I need to uh, negotiate my safety a little bit better. But the key question in my head is, why haven't I... Ever heard of UTIs with uh, you know, the danger of UTIs for the tops and anal play before? I guess the other question is Am I just going to be the person who uh, is always prone to UTI infections? Should I just never top again, even if I'm fully bonded with a partner?
2: Don't be a giant baby about this. Many women get urinary tract infections on the regular. They they get them semi-regularly, depressingly so. God, our intelligent designer, put the waste treatment plant right next to the amusement park. Evidence Neil deGrasse Tyson says of the fact that we do not have an intelligent designer. And women who have very short urethras, if some bacteria or fecal matter gets into their Urethra, it's a very short hop into their bladder, and that results in a, can result in a urinary tract infection. Men have much longer urethras because we have giant penises. And it's a little more difficult for bacteria or fecal matter to travel all the way up a, a man's urethra and get into his bladder and cause a urinary tract infection. But it can happen. Men do occasionally, rarely, get urinary tract infections. And it's treatable. You take your antibiotics. You be a little bit more cautious going forward, knowing that you got one once and how unpleasant they can be. You can take a little extra care after you have intercourse. Women who have urinary tract infections do not brick up their vaginas and call it a day. They keep at it, even at the risk of perhaps contracting in the future, another unpleasant urinary tract infection. One Not surefire but very effective method to prevent a urinary tract infection is to urinate after you have sex. Standard advice to women who have suffered urinary tract infections. It's standard advice to women who haven't suffered a urinary tract infection. If they just want to avoid a urinary tract infection, empty your bladder. So if you're going to be fluid bonded with some guy in the future, if you're going to have unprotected anal intercourse as a top, and you're at all worried because it happened to you once and you never want it to happen to you again, the odds of it ever happening to you again are very slim. But if you want to have that little added extra assurance that it might not ever really happen to you ever, ever, ever again, don't fall asleep instantly. Get up, eat a little bit of ice cream, take a piss, and then go back to bed. But stop having this meltdown. I don't want to scare everyone. I know you guys don't like it when... Mom and dad talk about their sex life, but Terry and I have been having unprotected anal intercourse for 20 fucking years, right? We threw the condoms away early in our relationship. We both tested and we were fluid bonded. We've been fluid bonded ever since, 20 years. Neither of us has ever had a urinary tract infection. So it's not like take dick, add ass, automatic urinary tract infection. You drew the short straw. You had a little bit of bad luck. Stop weeping. Stop fretting. Make a mental note in the future to take a whiz after you fuck somebody.
6: Hi, Dan. My wife and I have been married for 15 years, and we are monogamous with each other. Early on in our relationship, we would watch porn, and that's been really great. And one of the movies had a scene with a couple in a club where people could watch, which led to a conversation between the two of us as to whether or not we would want to do that. We both agreed we did, and we began to seek out a place where we could do this. We found a swingers club where we weren't interested in officially swinging with anyone, but having sex nearby other people. Uh, Some voyeurism in us came out that we didn't know existed, and it was a lot of fun. The first time we went, we ended up meeting another couple and going into a room with a curtain and We were both on the same bed having sex with our respective partners, but not touching or anything else like that. Second time we went, it was a lot more crowded. It was a big party night. We found it really difficult to meet with another couple um, or interact with anybody. We ended up having sex in a room with the curtain partially drawn, which was fun, but not exactly what we were looking for. We wanted more interaction with another couple where we would watch them, they would watch us, things like that. The third time we went, we tried to meet other couples, talk to them. We found it kind of hard to do, found that other people tended to know each other or just it wasn't really in us to be able to just chat up and chat with other couples and talk to them. We ended up having a great time, though, having sex on this bed that's outside with other couples watching us, which was a lot of fun. We really enjoyed it, but we missed the interaction part. So we're wondering if this is the right place for us to be going. Should we be seeking out other couples in a different way? We don't know exactly how to do that. We're mostly interested in watching being watched. We have discussed little bits of what would it like to touch and be touched by another couple. Um, So that could be in the cards, but we're not exactly sure And the nice thing is, if this all happens, great. But if it doesn't, we're not super attached to any major outcome. Uh, But it would be nice. So if you have any advice, please give it to me.
2: I listened to your call twice, and I still can't figure out what the fuck the problem is. You've gone to this swingers club. One time you had your ideal experience where it was you and another couple on a mattress fucking the shit out of each other's respective partners. The other times you went, it was not as perfect not as optimal but you still had a blast you still had fun you had great sex your big complaint is other people tended to know each other and they tended not to know you because you're new because they haven't talked to you yet they haven't met you yet if you keep going back to this place where you keep having these awesome experiences that missing piece where other people are known and you are not known will resolve itself in time as you come to be known what you're doing is working The place you're going, you're having great experiences there. Your only issue, I think, is a little social discomfort because other people have this established rapport and you're outside of it. The only corrective for that is time. Keep going back, be friendly, chat with people, introduce yourselves to people, tell them you're new there, make a friend. But this is not a problem. This is officially not a problem. Your experiences, all this awesome sex you've had at this place is not a problem. The only problem is a little bit of discomfort that will again, resolve itself in time. Keep going back. What you're doing is working. Keep doing it.
7: Hi, Dan. I am a 19 year old openly gay man. I've been out for quite a while and, um, Uh, I'm very out. I'm very proud. I actually have two questions. Okay. Number one, I, uh, have a very large libido. (laughs) I'm very proud of it. And I've acted on it multiple times throughout my young life. Um, I can't really say how many sexual partners I've had, but I'd say upwards of 50 or 60. I'm not quite sure. Anyway, uh, I, and all of those sexual partners and sexual experiences, and like I said, I do love sex and love having it, consensual, safe sex. I've never actually orgasmed with another man. Now, let me explain I've never orgasmed with anything other than my own hand. No oral stimulation, no anal stimulation, no digital stimulation, nothing. I mean, I've only been able to come by basically jerking myself off and I don't know why this is. Like I said, I enjoy sex when we're having it, it feels good in the moment. I, I just don't know. (laughs) Usually, I'm a little perplexed because this has been a really long time and I don't, I don't know why I just can't come with a guy. Okay. That's the first question. My second question is after, pretty much every time I have sex, I can't shake a feeling of immediate shame and disgust. And like I said, I've, I've been out for quite a few years, ever since I was 14. In fact, I've, I've broken it off with my family and I don't have any contact with my family because I'm out. And I'm very proud to be gay. I'm... I'm on a lot of different LGBT uh, uh, charities and boards and whatnot, and I protest all the time. I volunteer at various homeless shelters and uh, AIDS benefits and whatnot. I'm very proud to be gay, but I can't shake the feeling after having sex with a man that I'm in some way a little disgusted. And I hate that feeling, but it happens almost every time. And I don't know if this is some sort of subconscious internalized homophobia. I don't know I don't know, but I hate the feeling and I I don't want to have that ever again. You know, I'm I'm proud to be gay. And I'm proud to be sexually active and I shouldn't feel ashamed about that. So, any tips?
2: There's a lot of sex shame that sloshes around in our culture. I've spoken to many heterosexuals who have the same feelings after sex that you do. They feel this kind of disgust. The shame wells up in them when the horniness evaporates. Remember, you are a dude. When you come, prolactin, this hormone, is released into your body, into your bloodstream, and prolactin creates kind of a disinterest, a sudden and overwhelming disinterest in sex. So everything you were just doing is sort of yish, yick. And it might help you process these feelings if instead of at that moment when that feeling of colossal disinterest, even disgust with sex, repulsion washes over you, that rather than framing it in your head as I am disgusted by gay sex, this must be internalized homophobia, just to think I'm having this natural reaction, this natural process has just swamped my body, these hormones have swamped my body that have induced this. Disinterest bordering on disgust and sex, so let's jump up and have some ice cream or watch something on Netflix. Watch Master of None, the terrific series from Aziz Ansari. And just change the fucking mental subject for a moment instead of peering at that feeling. Sex, I was, suddenly, I was so interested in it an orgasm ago, but now, now I have no interest. It's kind of grossing me out even to think about it. Instead of peering at that and wondering what might be causing it, just shrug it off. Hormones, Biology is causing it. That said, you're 19 years old, you've had many sex partners, and being who you are, being the gay man that you are, cost you. Cost you your family, your relationship with your biological family. It had consequences. So I don't want to discount the possibility that there may be some larger subconscious issues sloshing around that are meeting up with that moment when prolactin Surges through your body, and you're suddenly disinterested, bordering on disgust with sex. And in that moment, you may be subconsciously dwelling on or reflecting on or contemplating the price you've paid to be the person you are, to have the sex and the relationships that you want to have. And it was a steep price that you paid, losing that relationship with your family of origin. It was a price that was imposed upon you by their assholery and their homophobia. Well, something else to think about, maybe. That in those moments when that disinterest that can sometimes border on disgust washes over you post sex, that you may be in that moment particularly susceptible to feelings of regret. And those regrets, being conscious of the price you've paid, is not the same thing as shame, it's not the same thing as internalized homophobia. It's just a consciousness, just an awareness of the stone in your shoe that you will carry all your life, potentially. You're only 19 years old. Families come around, particularly when they realize in time, some families take longer than others to get there, but when they realize in time that their hatred and their tantrum and their assholery isn't making their estranged gay child any less gay. So here's hoping your family comes around in time. In the meantime, enjoy yourself, please. Be careful. Mitigate those risks. Use condoms, get on Truveda, protect yourself. It is possible to have too much sex. Remember, straight guys have this check on their propensity to spin out of control sexually externally. It's called women. Women are harder to get into bed than men. Whether you believe that's nature or nurture or some combo platter, as I do, it's just a fact. We gay guys, you and me, we have to find that check inside ourselves. We have to find an internal check. The check that straight guys have imposed on them externally, we have to impose on ourselves internally. We have to do that for ourselves. It is much easier for us as gay men to spin out of control sexually. You can suck too many dicks. I'm here from the future to tell you. You can suck too much cock. That can also induce feelings of, if not shame, regret, discomfort. So, check yourself girlfriend if at 19 50 sex partners is 20 too many you might want to slow down the rate and pace the gay dude who has the most gay sex is not necessarily the proudest gay dude so be thoughtful about who you're with and when you're with them and what you're doing and you can kick that strut out from under the shame too if that's indeed partly what's maybe informing these feelings
8: hi dan thanks for your show I am 45 years old, had 10 years of monogamous marriage, separated five years ago. No sex since the separation until this past summer. In May, I opened a Tinder account, and with my first date, I realized I wanted sex very, very badly. started plugging around, 2, 10, 20 guys, 30, whatever. I enjoyed the anonymity, so it was one pack, and I was done. I fucked five guys one Sunday, opened a FedLife account, connected to parties being organized here. I went to one of these parties. I went for free because I'm a single woman, but men would pay $60, 70 $80 the entrance fee. I had my first gangbang there. It was spectacular. It was the land of pleasure. I had been jerking off to gangbang videos for a decade, and I never thought I would actually be in one. It was completely a fantasy. So I loved it. I loved it. It was, it was out of this world. So I went to another party and had a bigger gangbang with maybe 25 or 30 guys. And I wanted to keep going. I was happy. It was the best summer of my life. <laughs> so I went to a third one and it didn't go so well. One of the guys had told me he wasn't sure every guy was using a condom in that second gangbang. So in the third one, I decided to check every dick before penetration to make sure. And it did caught two guys trying to fuck me there. Both times I stopped all the action. I told them it was unacceptable, kicked them out of the room. And there was this other guy who penetrated me, my ass, um, very violently. I said it hurt um, he listened to me, stopped, and then he went in again violently. And I just sustained the pain at that point and waited until it was over. Then we continued. And at that point, I, I was dry. I needed lube. Um, and then there was this other idiot who was fucking my ass and, and changed to my pussy without changing condoms. And I was done at that point. I left and a few days later I went to a clinic to get tested and the worst of all shit happened then. The doctor found two condoms inside my vagina. So someone or two guys uh, left their condoms there and then let the next guy go in and push it inside. And fortunately it was found by a doctor so there wasn't any infection or anything. And all tests came back negative um, twice already. This has been a month. Uh, since this party or more five weeks, but I'm still trying to recover emotionally and psychologically. And I haven't had sex since then. And I don't feel like it, but I know that eventually I, wa- I will want to do it again. I want to leave my kink safely and I don't know how,
2: so I, I wanted to talk to you for two reasons. First, you're a rarity or, or theoretically a rarity because you hear about gangbang porn as being this thing that's made just for men and it's dehumanizing. No woman would ever desire that, desire to be the center of attention in a gangbang. And here you are. Gangbang porn was your jam, as the kids were saying only too recently, and your ultimate fantasy.
8: Yes, I i yeah, it was my ultimate fantasy. I never thought it was going to be for real. And when it was, it was great, which was another doubt that I had. Mm-hmm. If I was going to really uh, enjoy it in real life as I imagined in my mind. But I did. It was fantastic, at least the first time. <laughs>
2: yeah, the first couple of times. Here's my advice for you. Yes. If you do this again... There's two things you need to do differently. You need to not go to this party alone. You need a gangbang buddy. Okay? Yeah. You need a lover yeah. or a friend. And I don't know how open you are with your friends about your interests. You need somebody you can go with who, whose job that night, who's going to volunteer, kind of like a designated driver, going to volunteer not to be a part of the fun, but to be your bodyguard. To be the one who's making sure that everybody has a condom on. who's So you can lay back and enjoy yourself. So you don't have to. Because part of the gangbang experience is to be taken and out of control and used. So you don't have to be the one policing your orify. This person, your gangbang buddy, polices your orify. He's the one who's going to pull a guy off or tell a guy he can't get near you without a condom on his dick. He or she is the law enforcement. Yeah. And then you can relax. Yeah, and that's it, a great idea. If it's somebody Actually, you trust. I
8: talked, I talked with, um, with uh, the husband of a, a couple that went to the same party mm-hmm. and I emailed with him um, and he said that they didn't have as much fun as they thought just because he had to spend the whole night pushing guys out of the mattress. His wife had chosen three guys. To fuck with in a mattress, and all the rest were assuming that they had a right to fuck too. Oh my so, god, you got
2: to you got to get to uh, you got to get to better parties. This is so unlike the parties that I typically hear about, where uh, a mm-hmm. swingers party, if women are made to be un- feel uncomfortable there, unsafe there, the swingers scene the, that party collapses because if the women leave, yeah. it's just the guys standing around, their dicks in their hands. And most of the swinger parties that I attended when I was writing about swinging were really aggressively policed for bad actors for men who are out of control. So I think you might want to find a place where it's couples who are going and single women, and it's not an entry fee for single men where they can get in. And
8: well, the thing is that I did go to a swingers party and it's a very different setting where like, You know, you don't get really a lot of gangbangs in swingers' parties. I know, but you could
2: arrange a gangbang at a swingers' party. You can find better guys to have a gangbang with. It won't just break out of its own accord, but it's a fantasy scenario that you could arrange to have fulfilled with guys who just by dint of being in that space, a space where they're volunteering to be more aggressively policed and on better behavior, that until they have permission in a sort of a scenario... To be, quote unquote, badly behaved within limits. Mm-hmm. They're going to behave mm-hmm. themselves. If you don't want to be in a place where some rando who's not invited is going to jump on the mattress, you don't yeah. want to go back to yeah. that party where you met that couple. Or you don't want to go back to that those parties that you've been going to because that happens at those parties. And fuck those parties. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The other thing yeah. that, that you yeah. need to do mm-hmm. going forward, in addition to having that pal you go with who's going to look out for you when you want to lay back and not have to look out for yourself which I understand mm-hmm. that turnout, I understand that kink, you need a one-strike rule. Mm-hmm. That jerk who entered you violently, anally, who you said, that hurts, and then he listened and stopped and went in again, mm-hmm. no more going in again for that guy. That kind of guy is shown from the room.
8: Okay. No. Yeah, that's why I think that it should have happened.
2: One-strike, uh, one-strike rule, one-strike. Yeah. One-strike yeah. and you're out, out of my ass, out of this room. Yeah. You you know, your fantasy is inherently, you know, it has built in risks and dangers and you need to, as I love to say, mitigate for those risks. You need to control as best you can to minimize those risks. And then once you've controlled for them and you've minimized them and you've mitigated them, you can relax into what is kind of a dangery feeling, right? You can ride the ride. Yeah. But you got to buckle up and you didn't buckle up. It sounds like, you know, Yahtzee, it worked great the first time. The second time, double Yahtzee. The third time things spun out of control and I'm not blaming you for it. I'm not slut shaming you. I'm just saying that there was something about that party, something about the the people you were with where things could spin out of control. So now that you know that they can spin out of control, these are the two steps you can take to, even if you go back to that same fucking party, which I wouldn't advise that if you go back to that same fucking party with these two, New rules in place, never going alone, going to have a buddy. I'll be that person's wingman and guard and, and, and body person for them one night when mm-hmm. they want to just like lay back and they'll do the same for me when I want to just lay back. We'll take turns being the designated not getting fuckered, right? Like a designated driver, mm-hmm. but you're the designated not getting fucked tonight person
8: mm-hmm. you're watching out mm-hmm. for your
2: buddy. And one yeah. strike, dude's out. No second chances yeah. at you.
8: Those are great rules. I also, I'm not going back to that particular party. Um, I, I, I kind of fought a little bit with the organisers because I, I sent a story that I wanted to be sent to the 3,000 people in that list that received the the emails, the invitations to all parties um, saying what happened because it's a matter of safety. And I thought, you know, everybody has to know what happened and mm-hmm. a discussion has to take place. And they censored the email because they want to keep on making money. I mean, someone is making money. I, did, I didn't pay as a single woman, but men pay 80 bucks to get in there. And I think that's part of the problem because they yeah, then they, they feel pay entitled. Dollars, men they pay, want to fuck everybody. Right, it's money, right. They pay it's that practical.
2: money, they feel entitled to... Everything in there to the crudites exactly. and the bolt pretzels and you, and I don't think yeah. that's a great safe place for a woman with your particular no. fantasy. You know, if you were going because you wanted to get it on with one guy, or you wanted one guy to eat your pussy, but you, you know, to be the woman at the center of a five, six, seven guy gangbang. Well, thirty <laughs> or thirty guy gangbang, uh, you do not want to be yeah. in a place with thirty guys who feel entitled. Or angry because they paid their money. You're not a sex worker. You're a
8: volunteer. Yeah, no, i <laughs> Yeah, but I think that's the way it was treated in a way, at least in that third party, and uh, and so that's why you know I decided I'm never going to a party where someone is paying you know, a fee to get in, you know, that I'm not going to do that again. And, and after I made the decision and I started to write that on FedLife, I, a couple of guys wrote to me saying, yeah, I, you know, I'm on the same position. I quit those kinds of parties where money is involved a long time ago. And one of them said, I have a, he has a, his own playroom room at his house. And he said, you know, even if we, you don't want to talk with me, I can show you my, my playroom. And so I haven't met him yet. But, yeah, I think that's the way to go. You
2: know what you can do then? Mm-hmm. If you have access mm-hmm. to your own private space where you feel safe doing that and he's willing to be your muscle, right, you can find mm-hmm. three or four or five or six guys that you can invite, mm-hmm. that you can screen, that you can talk to on FetLife or whatever other uh, you know hookup site you're using and say, here are the rules. It's free. But here are the rules, and then these guys, instead of feeling angry and entitled, where are my pretzels, where's mine, when they pay their money to get in the door, will feel thrilled and honored to be there, and they'll be yeah. in their best behavior until you know you get to that point of the fantasy fulfillment scenario where they're allowed to be a little you know, ruddy, for lack yes, of a better
8: absolutely. word. absolutely. I want to say out of control. They mm-hmm. have to be
2: in control. Your fantasy is inherently dangerous. There are built-in risks and dangers because the the more guys, the more guys you don't know, the more strangers in the room, you have to control for that.
8: Yeah. Yeah. No, but those are great ideas. One strike, my body, and no more money involved in the organization of the party.
2: Good luck. Good three rules. (laughs) Yeah, good three rules. Have fun. And and congratulations. And I feel like I'm talking to a kind of a unicorn because... You hear from guys who love gangbangs, but you rarely hear from women who love gangbangs. So good to know you're out there. And all
8: that- I am. I exist. I'm for real.
0: <laughs>
2: Thanks for calling.
8: Thank you so much, man. Thank you for calling. Bye-bye.
9: Hi, Jen. I am a 25-year-old female straight from New York, and I have just started online dating. My question is this. I recently agreed to meet up with a man, and I did a little background research on him before the meetup, which was supposed to be tomorrow. And in doing this research, I discovered that he is married with children. Now, he says he's single online, and he has described these children as niece and nephew. He's never mentioned his wife, but I'm sure this is him and that this is his story. Now, I want to confront him about this. I'm going to confront him, and I'm not going to go on the date. My question is, should I tell his wife? Should I reach out to her somehow? I have found her Facebook, and I don't know if it is somehow my responsibility to alert her of her husband's indiscretions. What should I do?
2: Don't go on a date with this guy. Don't show up to confront him and stay the fuck out of this. It's none of your business. You listen to my podcast. You have heard us talk about at great length, me and other guest experts, the fact that marriages are long, marriages are complicated, and sometimes people – cheat because cheating is the least worst option yeah this guy is being deceptive that's not okay he shouldn't be misleading the other women he may be messing around with whether he's messing around with them with cause because it's the least worst option because it may be in the best interests of his children for him to get some on the side because perhaps the sexual part of his marriage has collapsed and seeking sex outside it is something that allows him to continue to be married and be there for his children and take care of his wife. Maybe his wife's a fucking invalid. You don't know what's going on in his marriage. So contacting his wife and saying things that cannot be unsaid isn't okay. I think you can say to this guy, you know, there is such a thing as the internet and you gave me your real name and stuff and I Googled you and I found out that you are married these are not your nieces and nephews and it's shitty of you to lie to people, plenty of people out there in internet land who will fuck married men. There's no need to deceive those of us who aren't interested in fucking married men. Say that in an email and then back the fuck away from this guy who may or may not be a terrible human being who could be a human being in a terrible situation where he is even perhaps for all, you know, with permission from his wife. To seek sex outside the marriage and he has found as so many men in that position who have spouses that it's hard for him to get women to sleep with him if they know that he's married to somebody else and so maybe in desperation and I don't think it's okay and I don't approve he's lying now about being married he and his wife could have a DADT agreement where whatever happens outside the relationship happens and I never want to find out about it and you barging in you would be the one violating the tenets of their marriage. Not him. You can't know what's going on. You don't rush in to a dining room where you don't know exactly what the fuck is going on and start flipping the table over. Back the fuck off. Back the fuck away from this guy. Send him one last email. Tell him he's an asshole. Get it off your chest. And then go out there and fuck some of the other 3.5 billion men on the planet. And let's say it violates the terms of their marriage for him to cheat. Let's say she doesn't know. Let's say in three months, he cheats a couple times, cheated with you. Maybe you're the first person he's ever attempted this with. And in three months, he comes to his senses. He never, ever cheats again. And in blissful ignorance, he and his wife spend the next 30, 40 years together happy. You, by barging in and flipping the table over, would have potentially, will have potentially destroyed 30 years of marital bliss that came in the wake of three months of sexual estrangement don't do it. You don't know what's going on in there. Don't burst in.
10: Hi, Dan. I'm in a really hard situation here. Um, It turned out that I realized recently that I am actually a trans person and I identify as a woman and uh, unfortunately, I am also married to a woman who is very much not okay with with this part of myself. We've we've had a chat about it, we've talked about it, she's taken time away and we we've come back and the situation is is, is really terrible. But the problem is is that I, I, I really I really love her and I wanna stay married to her, even though I'm I guess I know that your advice will probably be to yeah that it's over but i i don't want it to be and i really want to try and work to keep this together but i also want to be true to myself so i guess i'm just looking for any advice that you might have for me it seems like kind of a classic situation but um yeah it's a tough one
2: joining me by phone to help field this one parker malloy writer and transgender woman her writing has appeared in the new york times rolling stone the guardian she's currently a staff writer at Upworthy. And thank you, Parker, for jumping on the phone today. I appreciate it.
11: Hey, Dan. Thanks
2: for having me. So I I initially wrote you about this call, not inviting you to come on the show, just asking you for reference to some resources for people who are partnered with or married to, people who then come out as transgender, assuming Mm -hmm. that there must be resources out there for them. And you shared a story with me that... That that I wasn't aware of from your history. And so I wanted you to come on and and, and talk about it because you sure. were in a very similar circumstance as the caller once upon a time.
11: Absolutely. Uh yeah. When I first came out as transgender, I had been in a long-term monogamous relationship for four years with a straight cisgender woman. She's not into women at all. <laughs> so I mean that's I I feel like in in that regard, we're kind of in in the same boat, um, the caller and I and that was tricky we really tried to make it work and we ended up staying together for about 2 years but when for us it just didn't work out but i know for others it it can work out there's the potential that it can work out mm-hmm. um and there are some great resources like um for example uh pflag has some good resources that i just recommend to people with any family members who are still kind of not sure what, what's this whole transgender thing mean? They have a guide that's, it's, I think it's called welcoming our trans family and friends. And that's on their website at pflag.org slash transgender. Mm-hmm. Um, so so that's one resource I would highly recommend. And the other one, which I think um, might be especially helpful for the uh, caller is just the writing of Helen Boyd, who is, she's a cisgender woman. uh, She's married to a transgender woman. And at the time that she was, she started dating her future wife, um, Helen was under the impression that uh, she was dating a man who was just an occasional crossdresser. And it turned out over time that that just wasn't the case. And, that was hard for her to wrap her head around, and she kind of writes about the process she went through with that. And there's one quote that I saw just recently in a New York Magazine profile that she was uh, quoted in, uh, where she explains exactly what it was that happened, uh, You know how she sort of rationalized and figured it out and came to terms with things. Um, and that quotes, the thing that helped me around it a little bit was realizing I was never married to him. I was married to somebody who looked like him, and who I could project all that himness onto. But when I go back and look at our wedding photos, it's like she was making such a valiant effort to look like a man, like a groom. I never married a guy; I married a woman. So it's one of those things where it's just kind of rethinking the the marriage, rethinking the person that you're in love with. Mm-hmm. But when it when it I mean when it, when it's all said and done, some people just can't cope. Can't come to terms with that, or it just you become incompatible, and that's okay. I mean, I very much loved the woman I was dating. I thought we were going to get married. I thought we were going to be together forever and have kids and a house and a yard and stuff like that. But uh, it didn't work out, and we're still really good friends, though. So it in so it's not it's that, not that it didn't. Let, let's
2: just tackle the transphobia sure. charge. It didn't. It it didn't not work out because your former partner was transphobic. Your former partner oh. was a heterosexual woman.
11: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. She's, she's totally not transphobic. And that's, I think, a uh, one, one issue on both sides of the equation for both the, you know, the trans person and the, and the partner is that, will this make, you know, is this transphobic if this ends at, you know, because of this, but I, I, I really don't think it is because some people just aren't compatible with each other. If the caller is married to a straight woman, that might be too hard for her to overcome. And she's not obligated
2: to overcome it to
11: make the transitioning
2: partner feel better? People have a right to their own futures and self-determination and self-identities? Yes.
11: Go figure, um, you know, and I mean, and 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 that's the case. Marriages marriages end all the time for all sorts of reasons and sometimes for no reason at all. But uh, Jenny Boylan, who I think you know as well.
2: She's a professor, I believe, at Cornell or Yale, and she's an op-ed writer for The New York Times, and she's been featured very prominently on I Am Kate, just to yes. place Jenny Boylan for people just, out there who aren't familiar with her. Mm-hmm.
11: Yeah, yeah, and, uh, and Jenny was also married to her current wife before she came out as trans. So I mean they've they've stayed together and Jenny tweeted uh recently 55% of marriages with the trans partner survive more than the national average average for all marriages. <laughs> so just to kind of just to kind of, you know, put that in to to think about that, you know, it's kind of interesting because a lot of people assume that all marriages just must fall apart, but people find ways to make things work. And sometimes it's not conventional. Sometimes it's not what you had been doing or what you had expected. You know, I know some people open up their marriages to get needs met elsewhere. And for others, they just can't do it anymore. And that doesn't have to be a bad thing. You can love someone and your relationship can end.
2: That's what I wanted to jump in and say. She says, I really love her and I want to stay married to her. And she probably doesn't want it to be over because there's still love there but it could end and there could still be love there
11: absolutely and that that's nothing negative about either of them you know and hopefully no matter hopefully no matter what happens here the two of them can still have that connection can even maybe have that have that sort of love even if it's not in the form of a marriage you know if it's love in a friendship type of way or just you know, relationships are complicated.
2: <laughs> so just to sum up uh, our advice, it would be go to Flag, find the resources for family members of people who are transitioning, read My Husband Betty by Helen yes, Boyd. by
11: Hel- Helen Boyd.
2: And it's not ultimately up to you. It's up to you, the transition caller, and to be true to yourself. But your wife also has to be true to herself. And you may end up being in the 55% who stick this dismount, who make it work. Or you may be in the 45% and you have to let that play out and you're not in control of it ultimately, right? Correct. Parker Malloy, writer, transgender woman. Look for her stuff at Upworthy. Also the Guardian, Rolling Stone, New York Times. Thanks you so much, Parker, for jumping on the phone. I really appreciate
11: it. Thanks so much, Dan.
9: Hey, Dan. This is Lisa. My husband and I are from Los Angeles, California, and we have been doing Airbnb, hosting Airbnb from our house for the last couple months, and it's been great. Um, But today we ran into our first interesting issue. We clearly have it stated in the rules that we prefer no unknown guests, as in please don't bring bring back randoms to our house. Uh, Even the a common courtesy text or just a heads up would be great. We're not prudes, but we just kind of want to know when we're going to be waking up to random people in our home. Uh, that being said, we had a lovely gentleman stay with us. He had dinner with us last night, gushed about his girlfriend of seven years, and how he's taking her on a trip next week for her birthday as soon as he gets home, and that was it. And we woke up this morning to a really awkward walk of shame with him and some other lady who's clearly not his girlfriend. Uh, with that being said, I don't want to judge his relationship. We don't know what their, you know, what their policies are, if it's open, if it's don't act, don't tell. Um, we don't know because he didn't specify other than gushing about his girlfriend that he lives with. But Now we're left with, we have to give him a review on Airbnb. While he was sweet and all, he did not follow our house rules and uh, kind of really caught us off guard this morning with an awkward walk of shame and a little messy bathroom and stuff from his guests that we had to clean up. Um, So now we're left with, do we leave him a review and how should we do that? Uh, That's what we're stuck on, Dan. Do we disclose... Uh, the guest that we didn't know about, do we just kind of leave it as be? or what do we do here?
2: This isn't the same thing as calling the wife and letting her know that the husband is out there trawling for pussy. This is somebody who entered into a business agreement with you with an implicit understanding that In the wake of his visit, you could review him, talk about how he was as a guest, and he can review you and how you were as a host. So that feedback loop is something that he is an active participant in, a willing participant in, that he signed up for that. So yeah, he violated the rules. You can say that. You don't know if he fucked this person, so you don't have to say that. You can say you have a no randos rule. One of your rules for guests is they don't invite strangers to come and stay in the house and – The next morning when he woke up, he was not alone, that he brought somebody into your house. And that's not okay with you. Presumably, not all Airbnb hosts have the same rules. Presumably, you can rent through Airbnb and have a one-night stand. But that's explicitly ruled out by your agreement. The people who rent from you understand that that's not okay. Violated your rules. Also, left a mess. You should be able to say that. You don't have to describe the person who walked out of your house in the morning, shamefully or hopefully not shamefully. Nothing shameful in having a one-night stand with a hot tourist. Nothing shameful in that at all. You don't have to mention the gender. Just that there were two people there in the morning, and you had only agreed to host, and he had only paid for one person to spend the night. So, yeah, leave that review. Dan,
12: I stopped at a bar tonight, and I cheated on my wife. Wasn't planned, wasn't desired. Got caught in the moment. Don't know what to do. Do I need to tell her? Do I need to forget about it? Do I need to drink my ass? Drink, drink till I'm completely blackout drunk. I prided myself on being moral. I'm being with the girl who I love, but I'm not in love with. But. One thing led to another. I ran into someone with so much passion it took, overwhelmed me, and I'm not sure what to do.
2: So it's been a few days since you called. Are there any updates that we need to
11: know about? Oh, no, I, t-
12: I, I call. I got off the phone calling you and called the wife and told her. Couple first couple of days she was angry. Now she's willing to work it out. Okay. It was more of a. I went I went to this this dive bar I had never heard of before. Had some woman. I don't know, I think she was on something all over me and I eventually lost my ability to fight her. And it was just it was just a huge devastating thing that happened at that moment. Mm-hmm. And now that me and my wife has talked it over, she's given me a year to to change my ways. Which
2: ways so, are those that need to change? Just-
12: um, more attentive towards her, not going out as much, mm-hmm. so on and so forth.
2: Okay. Well Part of, I think, making amends to your wife is taking some responsibility for this. It sounds like you're pinning all the bl- responsibility, all the blame, on this drunken or strung-out bar hussy who wore you down. Like, she had a siege engine, and you were Istanbul, and she was the no, Turks, and it was, she just eventually was, brought your walls down and fucked the shit out of you. You stayed. It was
12: equally my fault. It was equally my fault. I could have easily have pushed her away, killed my dad, walked away, right. and... For some reason i didn't, and, and as you and the more I thought about it, the more I, I listened to your next the next show you did, and the mm-hmm. more I thought about it, like the more I thought, well, that was probably me hitting the self destruct button on something i didn't want to self destruct
6: you didn't
2: want to blow up your marriage i didn't want to blow up my marriage okay well, two things it, it, she's not equally responsible she isn't married to somebody else, so you bear greater responsibility than correct the dangerous siren bar slut who wore you well, down? It, it was
12: it was it was weird because this girl she, i went outside to get some fresh air and all of a sudden she's up in my face asking me questions grabbing my hand and
2: and i get it i get uh, it. that kind of attention from somebody hot you know particularly i think when you're married is can be intoxicating so i get it i'm not trying to rake you over the coals but you know if you're going to apportion out the culpability by in a it's By percentages, my fault. it's not equally your fault. It's more your fault because she wasn't married to somebody else, right? You were the married person there.
12: Well, that's, that's the problem. I don't know because there was a guy that was standing off to the side, and she's like, that's my brother, and I just – I don't know what happened. It just happened, and my colleague was more panicked. Oh, my God, I wish I had someone to talk to about this because it's 2 in the morning, yeah. and –
2: Unfortunately, my advice to you would have been to keep your fucking mouth shut and not tell the wife. If indeed it was a a one-off, it was never going to happen again, and you regretted it, sometimes the kinder, more loving thing to do is to eat it, live with the guilt instead of burdening your partner with this information. This isn't to give a pass to serial adulterers. And routine cheaters or people who shouldn't be in monogamous relationships because they can't keep a monogamous commitment. And I think somebody can slip up once or twice over the multi-decade course of a marriage and be regarded as having been pretty good at monogamy. So just because somebody cheated once doesn't mean they were incapable of keeping a monogamous commitment. Monogamy is the only thing that we look at and say if you ever – Slip and fall, you're terrible at that thing. We don't say that to people who ride bikes. If you fall off a bike, you're not a terrible cyclist necessarily. If you hit a sour note in a concert, you're not the world's worst violinist necessarily or terrible at being a violin player. The only place where it's a one strike, you're out eternally rule is this. And it's crazy. So my advice to you would have been don't tell her. And you could have done all the rest of it, making it up to her, being good to her, being nice to her, being more attentive getting right with God, whatever else you needed to do. You could have done that without burdening her with this knowledge. Cause now is she going to be able to trust you when you leave the house? Is she going to be paranoid and freaked out? Is it going to, is her understandable insecurity going to itself become a cancer that eats up your marriage and destroys it?
12: She's always had this. Well, you've been in more relationships than I have, so on and so forth. My wife, it, it, it's, it's, my wife never gets to leave the house by herself. Because she's disabled, which is even worse and oh makes God. me feel even worse, yeah, I married someone with a physical disability who's unable to leave the house, which is the other reason why I want to work this out and make it work because I feel obligated to make sure she's taken
2: care of and she has a good life. Are you her primary caregiver
12: yeah basically i'm the i'm the main I'm the one who earns the money I'm the one who takes her out, mm-hmm. takes her to the doctor, visits all that. She was talking about moving back home into a homeless shelter, and I just uh. was like, this is not going to happen.
2: Okay, well, you might need a little counseling because...
12: That's, a, that's the, we, we've got a phone call out to the counselor at our I, doctor's office. And, and I
2: don't mean marital counseling necessarily, or you're a terrible person counseling, but there's a lot on your shoulders and a lot on your plate. And this makes you saying earlier that maybe you were hitting the self-destruct button a little more understandable, that you are under a lot of pressure you know, the pressures of marriage and that kind of commitment. And there are pressures there, but also the obligations and and stresses of being the primary caregiver. It's an awesome responsibility that you've taken on a very loving one. You're going to still need to have time away. You're still going to need to have time on your own where you're out of the house. And that's something I think you two should talk about with a counselor. Like how can that time be structured where you can have some free and easy and breezy time away to de-stress and which will allow you to be a better husband and caregiver, primary caregiver to her without her feeling understandably insecure and paranoid when you are away. Like is it baseball yeah. games you go to with a buddy, you know, who's going to be the friend you're out with. How, can you cheat check in with you when you're out? in a way that makes her I've
12: feel always better. told her she's more than welcome to give me a phone call. My phone's always on me.
2: Yeah, it's going to have to be a higher bar than just you answered the phone cuz you can answer the phone um, while I someone's t- sucking your dick.
12: I told her well, I could never do that. I told her I'm not for at least the next foreseeable future i unless it's like to a hockey game i will not be going out by myself
2: okay that's that's Um, i think that's good for now but i don't think that's sustainable over the long term if you are indeed the primary caregiver for this disabled person that you love very much and you've made this commitment to you are going to need to figure out a way with your wife for you to have away time and recharge time and time for you that doesn't make her feel insecure and paranoid and so that doesn't become the cancer that destroys your marriage all right and that needs to be something besides she just can call you whenever. That needs to be how is your time away from her structured? Who are you with? That there's some accountability that makes her feel, makes, allows her to relax when you're out and around.
12: If she'd let me, I'd let, get her an iPod touch so she can FaceTime me at any moment.
2: Well, then do it. But Why won't she let you get an yeah. iPod touch? Why wouldn't she let you do that? Costs too much money. Your marriage is worth it. The investment, if it it cuts out the potential cancer or prevents that from ever growing of her insecurity and paranoia, understandable insecurity and paranoia in the wake of this infidelity, then it was well worth the investment. Good luck to you, man.
0: Thank you very much. I appreciate the call. Hi, Dan. Happy Thanksgiving. I am a longtime listener and Magnum subscriber and finally felt compelled to call in to address your attempt with Ken Jennings to answer a question about period syncing. Um, along with missing the obvious answer of the pill, which fortunately one of your tech savvy at-risk youth was able to supply, um, you perpetuated a myth about women who live together's period syncing up. Um, this was based on a single study in 1971 that has not been replicated since, and many follow-up papers have found that this was could be attributed to chance. So, Dan, you'd usually do a good job of bringing experts in female biology on the show. I hope you continue to do that and uh, keep your female tech-heavy at-risk youth on hand just in case. And Ken, I expected better of you. Um, please try not to perpetuate myths like this and uh, broaden the scope of your skepticism a little.
7: Hi, I'm not calling to record a question. I'm calling to respond to a caller. It's the woman that is in New York and is thinking about dumping her boyfriend who lives at home, she needs to break up with him immediately uh i am her exactly five years later it was the biggest mistake i made and she has every single hit every single point that we did that i should have seen and taken action against so she needs to dump it immediately
13: hi dan i'm calling because you frequently advise people to try using pot for relaxing their inhibitions i think you're giving some incomplete information here that has important details missing
6: specifically
13: Marijuana paranoia. It's a thing. If a person who's already anxious or self-conscious gets really stoned, especially on the wrong kind of pot, it can be a really bad scene that is not at all conducive to sexy times. I've never heard you acknowledge that, and I want to help out with some education. Okay, there are two variants of cannabis, indica and sativa. Sativa, Dan, will get you a really heady intellectual high that is great for movies and video games and rambling conversation, but it's also the most likely one to lead to that paranoia. On the other hand, the indica strain is almost certainly what you, Dan, are thinking of when you recommend POTS, and you should recommend it by name. That's the one that has the nice, warm, fuzzy body high, not thinking too much, the classic couch melt. Listeners, if you're in a state where you can just go to the store or dispensary to buy cannabis, keep this in mind. The person behind the counter should be able to help you out, especially if you're specific to them about what effects you're looking for. Even given that, though, and especially if you're not in a sane state and are just buying what you can get, it's always, I think, really important to test out new purchases without the expectation you'll be having sex. Stay safe, have fun, get stoned. I am.
2: And we're going to leave it there. 206-302-2064 is the number here at the Savage Lovecast. If you'd like to record a question or comment for a future show, give us a buzz. 206-302-2064. As we let you know last week, and as we will probably continue letting you know for weeks on end, we have Savage Lovecast mugs now available at thestranger.com slash savage swag. we got a GGG mug and a very subtle understated fuck first mug you can check them out and you can buy them at the stranger.com slash savage swag perfect gift for the savage love cast fan and your family biological or logical follow me on twitter at fake dan savage follow parker marie malloy on twitter at parker malloy malloy is spelled m-o-l-l-o-y The Savage Love Cast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech savvy at-risk youth. And Nancy, we'll all be back at you next week with another installment of The Savage Love Cast. Thanks for having